Our God and Father, Lord, we praise you and we honor you this day. Oh Lord, you are holy and Lord, you're pure and you're righteous altogether. And oh Lord, we rejoice in this, that there is a good God who is in heaven, who's ruling over the world. But Lord, you have promised to make all things right in the end. That God, there will be a day of reckoning for evil. But Lord, we look forward to it. We long for that day when your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, we pray, come quickly. But even as you delay, oh Lord, save Save your people, God. We thank you for all that you have done for us through the precious blood of our Lord Jesus, God, that you've washed away our sins, that you've healed our broken hearts and our broken souls. Lord, that you've reconciled us to yourself. And by your Spirit, Lord, you have come to live inside our hearts and Fill us with the glory of the age to come. You filled us with your joy and your peace and the rest which comes from your spirit, from your word. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith and encourage us all the more as we see the day approaching. God, help us to be faithful to you in all that we do. Help us to glorify you with our lives. Transform us so that we are like our Lord Jesus. People of love and grace and kindness and mercy. People of wisdom and justice. People who love the truth and who are willing to die for it. Lord, that we might be like him. Help us, God, to be like Jesus. We thank you for the great privilege that we have to gather in this place with your holy family. We ask that you would uh, strengthen our faith and change us as we look into your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So with that, we're back in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2. We've been going through the section of text in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, which is kind of a a section in and of itself there that deals with Christian discipleship with the establishing of the church in Thessalonica. And Paul describes there in in some detail what his ministry of discipleship looked like to the Thessalonian church. And so as a result of that, what what we have in this section of text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, is a comprehensive look at the character and nature of Christian discipleship. What does it look like for a Christian leader to establish a Christian church? How is it that these Christians learned? How is it that they grew? What is it that they learned? What is it that, that uh, how, how were they changed? And when they changed, what became of them? These things are addressed right here in this text. And um, 
Paul gives a lot of very clear examples of, of things that were taking place in this discipleship that was happening in the church. So as we think about how that applies to us, Christians here in Albuquerque, New Mexico in 2009, I'd like to suggest that the very thing that was happening at the hands of the master disciple maker, Paul the Apostle, ought to be happening with us here today if we're truly genuine Christians as they were. Are you with me? And when we look at the, the Apostle Paul's example of Christian leadership, we ought to be seeking to follow in his example, and we ought to have Christian leaders that mimic the things that he did. And I was saying and have said over the last couple of weeks that you ought to judge your Christian leaders by this example, by the example that we have in Scripture. And uh, they are to be tested because that's what the Scripture tells us to do. But if, if you will, in a section like this, we really get a flavor for what Paul's ministry looked like. And um, there we, we learn a lot of different things about how it was carried out. But, but not only that, but how a Christian ought to be made into a disciple. And therefore, how a disciple ought to respond as they're being made into a disciple. Are you with me? Because we see in the example of these Thessalonians a really godly response to the gospel and to the nurturing that the apostles were giving them there. You recall that just in a very short period of time, they became a model church, as Paul says in chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. He's commending them for the fact that they became imitators of the apostles and that they went out and preached the gospel in their whole province of Macedonia and even in the next door province of Achaia. That, that just in a short period of time, this church had literally began to imitate the apostles and do the very things they were taught to do. And so there we learn the example then of how Christians ought to respond to Christian disciple-making. And uh, if you will, the very thing that you saw the apostles do when Jesus was discipling them, we see the apostles go and carry out in Thessalonica. Then... The very thing that Paul and the apostles were teaching the Thessalonian Christians, they went out and did likewise. And so, if you will, whenever we talk about discipleship, I want to give you just a, just a real brief but concise definition of what discipleship is. Because we have this idea that discipleship is a class that you take at the midweek service. Or that you know it's it's uh, it's you know it's what those uh, serious Christians do, you know, or or it, it's something that's that's separate or abstract from Christian life. Nothing could be further from the truth. What it means to be a follower of Jesus or a Christian is to be a disciple. It, it what it means is to be a learner, a learner of the disciplines of its teacher. Okay, a disciple is a learner of the disciplines of its teacher. But if you will. The definition I was going to give you for discipleship is this. It's what Jesus did with the twelve. Okay, so here we have God in the flesh coming to the earth and gathering some disciples whom he chose, right? And then doing this thing with them that he calls discipleship. Okay, so there we have the example of God himself giving us a perfect picture 
of what discipleship is. And furthermore, we shouldn't look back on that and say, well, that's what they did back then, but we do it differently now. Are you with me? You see how empty that would be? Shouldn't we be mimicking the example that God gave us when he was here in the flesh? Amen? And so what Christian discipleship ought to look like today is what Jesus did with the twelve. Okay, and this is where I was telling you last week, we can't just take a new Christian and plop him in the 47th row back and give him one cold snack a week and expect him to be a mature Christian in no time. As a matter of fact, at that rate, they probably never will mature. And rather, they'll sit in a state of infancy. Why? Because all the elements of Christian discipleship aren't there when you just plop somebody back in the pew. Discipleship is something that happens by personal means. It's something that happens by personal accountability. It's something that happens by instruction from somebody who knows and understands how to live the Christian life, who's training this new disciple in disciplines so that a Christian must have a disciplined life. Okay, that's what it means to be a disciple. You're a learner of the disciplines of your teacher. Okay? And so these things have to be trained in a Christian. It's not that it's... You know, you didn't live like a Christian's supposed to live in, in, your, in your former manner of life. On the contrary, amen? We've been powerfully transformed. Now we have a whole new guide, a whole new system, a whole new arrangement of life, right? We've been changed. We've been set free from sin and death. Now we live in light and life, amen? And in this world, family, that requires discipline, amen? You with me? So, if you will, I'm suggesting that this little section of 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 12, gives us an example how Paul carried that out with the Thessalonian church. You see, with the Jews, if you grew up in a Jewish home in the first century, this was drilled into your head from knee-high to a grasshopper, okay? That God's word was powerful, that God's word was to be heeded and obeyed, that, that, uh, number one, the Jews were literate. That means they could read and write. You know why? Because they were taught to read so that they could read and understand the Bible. Okay? Well, that wasn't always the case in the rest of the world. However, most of the Roman world was, was fairly educated. They were, they were somewhat literate. But they didn't necessarily grow up in a home where they were, they were taught to live a disciplined life of obedience to God's Word. Okay? The Jews, that was, that was really... Uh, like I say, drilled into their heads from, from, from a very young age, for most of them, especially the ones that were devout, right? So when you bring this to a Gentile or a Greek culture, right, you don't necessarily have that same level of discipline that just lives in the family order or in the religious or in the culture or the society, okay? Um, and so, so it's important to understand for us people who are being saved out of a Gentile culture, especially this American culture that we live in today, right? You've heard the term dumbed down. You know what that means, right? It means kids go to school and play with their cell phones all day instead of learning. You know why? Because learning is an arduous task. It takes discipline, Right? And uh, it's a constant war. Talk to a school teacher, they'll tell you. It's a constant war to discipline these kids to learn in this culture, in this day and age, okay? So, naturally then and therefore, as we become Christians and we come into the kingdom of God and we got this whole Bible 
full of good things to learn from God, right, that we need to walk in and live in and allow to come in and transform our life, it's going to take some discipline. Amen? I mean, how, how, how many of us have dug into the Word of God just a little bit, and all of a sudden we realize it's a vast ocean filled with glory and wisdom. Amen? And it takes some discipline to learn those things. Not only that, but the ages of controversy that have gone on about the Bible and the Word of God and the things that are contained within. Amen? How are we going to learn to discern between what's right and wrong? Right? Well, it's going to take some learning. It's going to take some discipline. It's going to take some study. It's going to take some meditation, some contemplation. Amen? It's going to take some divine and supernatural revelation from God. Amen? Especially to learn the important things that are here, right? Because all of those things are divine by their very nature. And the only way you get them is by learning from the Holy Spirit himself. Amen? Amen. And so without, uh, without prayer, without communion with God, these things cannot also cannot be ascended to or attained. Are you with me? And so, and of course, these are the things that Jesus taught us. And these are the things that we're learning to be disciplined in. Okay? So, nevertheless... Paul gives us a really good description of what that looked like in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 12. Last week, we got through uh, verse 11, right there toward the end of verse 11, at the bottom of page 23, I was talking to you about Christian discipleship. There we said that proper Christian discipling comes with serious discipline and effort, to see that disciples learn obedience to God's holy word, and this obedience is to be motivated by intense devotion and love for God and for his son, Jesus Christ. This is essential to the Christian life. Family, church, Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not just something that you come in with your Starbucks and sit down in your theater chair and watch the show. It's not about having a good worship band, okay? Although a good worship band can properly glorify and exalt the name of God, that can be a good thing, right? But that isn't what it's about. It's about worshiping God, but it's not about sitting and watching the show. Are you with me? It's about learning to love God and walk in His Word and be transformed by His Word so that we worship Him properly the purpose for which we were made. Amen? Why did God make you? Right? To glorify His name. Why? Because God does everything He does to glorify His name. Amen? And so, learning to be a Christian disciple is learning how to glorify God's name with our life. Amen? And so that's going to take some discipline. It's going to take some learning. And it doesn't just happen by osmosis. Right? It doesn't just happen by watching the show. Christianity is not a show, right? It's about the dwelling of God now coming to be with men. It's about the Holy Spirit of God coming to live in the hearts of men and women and transform them and change them and fashion them into what? A new creation. For if any man is in Christ, he is a a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. Amen. What are those new things? Those are the things that's going to take some discipline to learn. Right? And not only that, it's going to take a process. It's going to take a process of disciple making for you to learn how to be set apart and sanctified unto God. 
I know this is foreign. It's foreign to our church culture. But God forbid that it should be foreign with us any longer. Amen. Amen. God help us to learn and to conform to the word. Amen. We have seen how empty American evangelicalism is. Have we not? So let us be part of the solution. Let's stop complaining about the problem and let's fix it. How do we do that? By being doers of the word ourselves. By being examples of what a true, godly, holy Christian ought to be. Amen? Okay. Christian leaders are not offering nice suggestions for people to improve their quality of life or offering therapy for their darkened, sinful hearts. They are not to coddle their selfish pride of men or entertain them by cleverly invented stories tickling their ears. They are instead proclaiming divine imperatives which are to be fully obeyed, and this with strong exhortation and encouragements, accompanied with much warning of serious consequences for disobedience. Now, where did you get that? Where did I get that? (laughs) I got it right here, 1 Thessalonians 2.11. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Amen? You see the example of Paul's kind of Christian leadership? Exhorting and encouraging and imploring so that they'd walk in a manner worthy of God. Amen? So that they wouldn't be disobedient people who profess the name of God, but their lives don't reflect his glory. But instead, that they would be an obedient people who glorify God with their life. They walk in a manner worthy of God, so that when people see their life, they say, Wow, who is your God? Amen? And family, if you're a true Christian, that's what you're longing for. Amen? You're longing to be like Christ. You're longing to be like God. You hate your sin. You want to do what's right. Amen? And every time you sin, your soul is filled with weight and conviction. Right? Until you come to the cross and get washed again. Amen? And there the forgiveness that God offers us washes our guilty conscience in our hearts. And it strengthens us anew to do what? To do what is right and good and holy and true to continue to turn our back on sin, to continue to walk in repentance from sin and do the things that glorify God, to to be, in fact, a new creation, amen? And not an old, fallen, dying creation, but a new and living, regenerated creation, amen? That's who we are. Can I get a witness? Okay. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, he said, Brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. Listen to what he says, verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. You understand what Christian leaders are supposed to do? They're supposed to give you commandments. They're supposed to command you in the name of the Lord Jesus to do what? To walk in a manner worthy of God. What was the nature of Paul's commandments? Look, he goes on, verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. 
that is your own body, right? And things which are holy and set apart unto God and that honor God, right? Verse 5, not in lustful passion like you see on American television every night if you're watching it. Not like that wicked fallen world that's around us. Amen? Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because, because why? Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. What is a Christian leader to do? He's to solemnly warn you with commandments to be holy before God because God is the avenger of sin. Amen? Now tell me how that can happen in a church where they won't even bring up the word wrath. What are we warning you about? What is Paul warning them about? God is the avenger of sin. What is that? That's what you better get a hold of real soon. (laughs) Amen? Because it's appointed for a man to die once and then. The judgment. Amen? God's going to God's going to have us give an account. Amen? Because this applies to every person, Solomon says, right? Including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Amen? As I've often told you before, listen, I'm going to tell you again. God is going to judge and condemn and punish every single sin that has ever been committed by every single person in the history of mankind. You better believe it. As sure as God is just, he is going to punish sin. You say, well, what about me? I'm a Christian. (laughs) That doesn't apply to me, right? Wrong. That does apply to you. Let me tell you how. You say, well, I believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now Christ has been punished for my sins. Amen? Do you understand? You get the concept here? Somebody's going to be punished for your sin. Either it's going to be you or it's going to be Christ. But for that sin, blood is going to be shed. Are you with me? And this is why we are warning and encouraging and exhorting and imploring everybody around us to be saved. Why? Because if Christ doesn't die and bear their sins in his body on the tree, then they are going to die and bear their sins in their own body in hell forever. Which, by the way, hell forever is the just penalty for sin. That's why hell goes on forever. Because God gives the perfect penalty for the offense. Are you with me? I know that's a hard thing to comprehend, because we don't realize how bad sin is. Sin is such a terrible thing that, listen, God had to give his only pure and holy son to die for it. Hell, uh, sin is such a terrible thing that there is a place called hell. And people who don't have their sins atoned for go there forever. That's how terrible sin is. Are you with me? Family, I'm just trying to implore you <laughs> to hate sin, to turn your back on it, and to understand properly what it is in the sight of God. Amen? And that's what Christian leaders ought to do, just like Paul did with the Thessalonian church. These exhortations they offer with careful instruction, with much patience and gentleness, in the sincere love of God that looks much like that of a father for his own children. 
What would a father say to a child who was playing in the street? You know, dad's working around the house, you know, and he comes out, walks outside of the garage, and there's the kids out there in the middle of the street playing marbles. Right? And so he says, Daniel, get out of that street. Get your rear end out of that street, boy. Right? Okay, dad. Picks up his marbles and runs over to the sidewalk, starts playing marbles on the sidewalk. So dad's working around the house, working in the backyard. He comes out again. Guess what? Kids are out in the street again. Right? Now what's dad going to do? Well, dad's going to walk out there and he's going to grab him by the ear. Right? Or is that a mom thing? That's a mom and a grandma thing. Grab him by the ear. Get him near a boy. Right. Now, now, why does dad want to have conflict with the child? Because he loves them. And if they keep playing in the street, what? Pow! Lights out, right? So what's, got, what's dad going to do for the well-being and the benefit of those kids? He's going to encourage them. <laughs> Are you with me? He's going to encourage them to make wise choices so that they won't be harmed in that activity. Amen? And, and family, there is a side of Christian leadership and a side of Christian discipleship that is to look very much like that. We are exhorting and encouraging and imploring you. Amen? That's what Paul says. We're, we're exhorting and encouraging and imploring you, right? This has always been the standard for Christian leaders, and Christians should mark their leaders by these qualities or disqualify them by the same. Paul explains in writing this to his intern, 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 5. Now, this is Paul's writing to Timothy, who, by the way, is a young pastor. And Paul is writing to him, and this is what he says to him. Timothy, this, by the way, is Paul's last book. 1 Thessalonians, it's argued, is Paul's first book. 2 Timothy is Paul's last writing just before he dies, and this is what he says to the young pastor. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside the myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So think about the things that Paul is exhorting Timothy to do in his pastoral ministry. He says, I want you to preach the word, right? In season and out of season. Preach the word constantly. Preach the word when it's popular. Preach the word when it's not popular. Right? He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. What what does a Christian leader do as he's preaching the word? He's reproving. He's bringing correction. Right? Where we are erred in our way. Right? He's reproving. He is, I'm sorry, rebuking okay this is a strong correction 
That's what a rebuke is. You know what a rebuke is. Everybody knows what a rebuke is because nobody likes them. <laughs> right? It's what happens the second time when dad comes out and you're in the street again. <laughs> right? You with me? And then exhort. Right? Exhorting. You understand? Ex- you are to exhort with the word. You're to constantly encourage. Right? With conviction. And he says here, with great patience and instruction. Now, I've been a Christian for almost 19 years. And as I really think about it, I'm rather surprised at how little (laughs) I have learned to obey the things that I have learned. And how hard it is for this old man of sin to die so that the new man can live. Amen? It's a great struggle. It's a great war, is it not? But family, this is why we need constant reproving and exhorting. And this is why the pastor needs to have great patience and careful instruction. Careful, you understand? Full of care to instruct. Because it's important for us to learn. You know, the devil has got a thousand ways to Sunday to try and to deceive us, to disobey God, right? And and to defame God's glory and his name. That's what we do every time we sin. Right? And if he wasn't an enemy enough, right? We got the world around us constantly bombarding us with temptation, constantly wounding our conscience with the vile images and, and, and wicked sin that goes on around us. Amen? And if those two enemies weren't enough, right? The greatest enemy lives right inside here. <clears throat> right? The world and the flesh and the devil. And so with all those enemies to contend with, right, nevertheless, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Amen. Amen? And even though this fallen man still lives in a body of sin, let me tell you, one day, this body of sin is going to be shed. Because God is going to see to it that he sanctifies me wholly and completely. Amen. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 says. That God is faithful. He will do it. Amen. And so right now, in the meantime, what's he doing? Well, he's sanctifying me. Right? He's preparing me for the world to come. He's testing me in the fiery trials of life. Amen. So that my faith, which is more precious than gold, might be proved genuine. Right? And result in what? Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's First Peter 1, 6, and 7. Amen? Amen? So, this is what this whole thing that we do as Christians in learning to follow and walk after Christ and learning his disciplines so that we can take on this character in nature that, and, and, and live out this Christian life that God is working in us. Amen? That's why Paul says in Philippians, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? Why? For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do according to his own good purpose. Amen? That's a good summation of the Christian life, or should we say the Christian struggle in sanctification. Amen? So he goes on here, though. He says, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's a mouthful. All of this exhorting and encouraging and imploring has an intended goal. 
And this goal is so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you. The idea is that you would live a life that is reflective of God, who in every manner is the epitome of virtue. Think about this. That you would walk in a manner worthy of God. Now, who is God? (laughs) Right? Well, we could go on for a while answering that question, right? But God is the holy God of heaven, the creator of all that is, right? He's not only that, but he's the source of everything that is good and righteous and virtuous. Amen? And he is the hater and the avenger of everything that is evil and wicked and unrighteous. Amen? God is the, is the being that defines what all virtue is. If it is in God, it is virtuous. If it is in God, it is good. Amen? And anything that is opposed to the character and the nature of God is by that definition evil. Amen? And so here is God. He's the epitome of virtue. He's the epitome of everything that is righteous and good and noble and holy. Amen? And here's what Paul says. That he's encouraging and exhorting and imploring that we would walk in a manner worthy of God. Amen? And so that Christians are to reflect this character in their own lives. To walk in a manner, to live in a manner. You understand the biblical word walk is, means to live, right? To live in a manner worthy of the God who calls you. That is, to live a life of moral purity and upright integrity and virtue that is equal to or according to the worth of God. Do you realize every Christian has that calling? Amen? I want to convince you with the scripture. This standard is very high, yet it is our aim and constant goal to become like Christ in every way. Not only this, but it was Paul's goal and should be the goal of every pastor for his people. And this is the reason for the exhorting and the encouraging and the imploring that we would live in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We are not to be hypocrites who profess one thing and live another, but rather we are to be imitators of and followers of Christ. There could not be a higher calling. Now think about this, family. If this is true, (laughs) that we are to reflect the character of God in our life, could there be a higher calling? Could you be called to a greater task? I mean... God is high and lifted up. Well, how high and lifted up is he? Somebody tell me, how high and lifted up is he? Infinitely. He's infinitely high and lifted up. Why? Because he's infinitely good. He's infinitely pure. He's infinitely holy. He's infinitely powerful. Right? He's infinitely knowledgeable. Right? And so here it's the command to walk in a manner worthy of God. In a manner worth, like God is worth. How are you going to accomplish that? With men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Okay? Now, family, we understand this is a high calling. Okay? But that isn't so that we recognize that and give up. (laughs) We don't say, well, God's way up there. I'm never going to get there, so I'm going to be satisfied with my anger. I'm going to be satisfied with my sin. I'm going to be satisfied with my guilt. I'm going to be satisfied with the poor way I treat people around me, right? 
I'm going to be sad. You know, uh, you know, you know, I was treated so bad when I was growing up. Yeah, I just can't, I just can't shed this baggage. So now I have a reason to be angry and grumpy and mean with everybody around me. Right? No, no. Not if you're a Christian. Not if you're a Christian. You know why? Because this is, this is what God says. He says, be holy even as I am holy. And you say, well, who can do that? Well, he didn't ask who could do that. He told you to do it. <laughs> Are you with me? You understand what I'm trying to say? We have a high standard. Regardless of whether or not, we, sh- we certainly know we can't reach that standard in our own strength. We know that if we're going to become like Christ, it's something the Holy Spirit is going to do in us with his power. Amen? And, he, and not only that, we know by the experience we've had, he's changing us from the inside out. Right? He's changing our hearts so that we long to do what's right. So that we want to do what's good. He's teaching our minds so that we can discern between good and evil. So we can make the right choice when the time comes. Amen? We know that all of this is happening by supernatural working of God. Nevertheless, we have to understand as Christians, we're called to walk in this holiness of God. We're called to walk in a manner that's worthy of God. We don't have any excuse for our sin. Amen? Amen. On the contrary, when we came to Christ, we came in what? In repentance. We came turning our back on sin to follow Jesus and do what's right. Amen? So we, we are constantly striving then to walk after Jesus, to live a life like Jesus lives, to do the things that Jesus did, to say the things that Jesus said, to think the things that Jesus thought, right? To feel the emotions that Jesus felt so that we can be like him. Why? Because he's worthy, <laughs> He's glorious. He's virtuous. We realize he's the one to mimic, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I want to be a a loving man. I want to be a kind man. I want to be a gracious man, right? I realize I'm not those things in my old self. My old self is contrary to those things. But as I, I learn to worship God and adore him and understand his worth and his value, I want to become more and more like him. Are you with me? So I begin to long to be like those things. And that's what happens every time I read the word. I open the book and it washes my soul. It washes my conscience. It tells me who God is. It tells me what goodness and righteousness and holiness and true nobility looks like. Are you with me? And that's what causes me to long to want to be like that because the spirit of God is in me, energizing that word. And it's powerfully working within me. Amen? I trust that's your experience as a Christian. If you're not experiencing that, I want to tell you, go back to the cross and get saved. Because that's what you ought to be experiencing. Amen? And I understand we have different levels or degrees of victory. Some of us are more mature than others. Nevertheless, we're all shooting at the same standard. We've all got the same Holy Spirit in us. Right? Some of us may have had a much harder crack at it in life. But let me tell you, the Spirit of God is greater than the sin that is in you. And the word of God is able to come in and to cleanse you and wash you and change you. Amen? And every true Christian can give you a testimony of that. Because that's what their life is. It's a testimony of that process. Amen? God help us. Please do. I, I was thinking about that because I had a conversation with a friend of mine once that, um, about Proverbs 31 and the high standard there for women. 
And she said, well, I know I can never be that, and my husband's okay with the way I am. And I said to her, well, your husband's not the standard. You know, I mean, I was kind about it, but ultimately that's the point. <laughs> you mean, there you go, reproving and... <laughs> but the point is, is that we all need to be encouraging us to that standard instead of allowing ourselves to think that way. Amen. Because that's always the fallback. It's always people saying, well, nobody can ever do that. We'll never be perfect mm-hmm. until Christ comes back. Mm-hmm. I can never be that perfect wife. I can never mm-hmm. be that perfect husband. And... It's true that we can never be that perfect, mm-hmm. um, but the calling is still there and the standard is still there. And mm-hmm. so husbands and wives, I just wanted to encourage you to encourage one another to that standard instead of just, mm-hmm. oh, that's okay, my husband just accepts me the way I am, mm-hmm. or my wife accepts me the way I am, or right. even in friendship. Yeah, and then even wrongly thinking that, like you said, the husband's not the standard. Right. You know, your performance as a wife or your performance as a husband is not judged by your spouse's acceptance or rejection of it. It's judged by God. Right? That's why God is to be at the center of every marriage. Right? And so when God says to love with a pure kind of love, we're to to shoot for that kind of love. We want to love our spouse perfectly. And here's the thing. If you love God, you want to do what's right. You want to continue to excel. You don't want to continue to flounder in your sin. All that does is create destruction. It creates pain. It creates hardship. How many of us know? I've been telling my kids ever since they could hear that sin will destroy you. If you commit sin and you continue to pattern your life in sin, it will reap destruction in your life, period. You know why? Because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. Right? You with me? So, listen, this isn't some big, heavy thing. Oh, you, you wife, you're just not doing what you need to do. Here's the deal. The Spirit of God lives in you, right? He's calling you to walk in a manner worthy of Him. He's calling you to live in His peace, in His kindness, in His love, in His joy, in His patience. Amen? And He's giving you all the resources that you need to accomplish that. Amen? Now, isn't that something you want to do? Okay, and here's the other here's the other deal. John says, <clears throat> uh, "Help me out here. Uh, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." Right? He goes on. He says, "If if 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 we sin, right? What? We have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous." Here's the deal. We're gonna we're gonna continue to fall short in our Christian life. As we continue to try to be like Christ, there are going to be times when we fall short, when we actually sin against Him, right? Or we sin against our spouse or whatever. What are you going to do? Are you going to live in defeat? Are you going to surrender because you couldn't accomplish what God was calling you to? Here's what you do, family. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? So what do you do? Here's what you do. You own up to your sin. First, in your own heart. Stop lying to yourself and trying to justify yourself and telling yourself that you just can't do it. Hello, we already know you just can't do it. <laughs> Amen? That's, that's why we need to abide in Christ and live in his word and live in his power. Okay, and whenever we fall short, we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm sorry. I blew it. I blew it again. How many times have you said that? I blew it again. I have said that a thousand times if I've said it once. 
Amen. But here's what you got to do. You got to own up to your sin. You got to be honest with yourself. You got to say, you know what? That was wrong. What you did was wrong. Don't pridefully justify your sins. Humble yourself and confess them. Amen. And do with them what ought to be done. Put them under your feet. Amen. Give them to Christ. Go to Christ. Run to God when you fail. He'll take you in every time. He hears those who cry out to him. Carol? I just want to underscore that and encourage people not to fall into that thing of blaming your family and the way you were brought up. And the scripture says when you create it, when the old things have passed away, that stuff's irrelevant. Amen. Amen. Did everybody hear that? She's saying, she's saying she wants to underscore the, uh, the idea of not blaming your family or the way you were brought up or the circumstances that you went through as excuses or reasons why you can justify your sin. Okay, Because we're new creations in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God has come to live in us. He's forgiven us of all of our sins. He's given us the word to instruct us how we ought to live. And he's given us the spirit, his power to come in, to comfort us, to console us, to help us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to sanctify us. Right? Are you with me? We have all the resources that we need, right? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, right? The old things have passed away. The, the old things of your former life, the difficulties that you went through, whatever they were, and, and I know that many people face traumatic, severely traumatic, difficult things in their life. And they create huge wounds in our hearts and in our souls and in our minds. I'm, I'm the first to agree with you. I have experienced some of that myself. Okay? But family, that's not an excuse to go on and sin. Instead, Christ wants to heal you from that destruction in your life. He wants to make you whole. Okay? And what I'm encouraging you this morning is, is that everything that you need is in the Word and is there for you by the Spirit so that you can be healed, you can be made whole. You can learn how to love. You can learn how to be gracious and kind and patient. Those are things that come from God. You're not naturally patient, but, but God gives patience. It's a fruit of the Spirit, amen? If you abide in the Spirit, you'll have the patience you need. If you abide in the Spirit, you'll have the love that you need. If you abide in the Spirit, you'll be able to bear with others and forgive, even as the Lord forgave you, Amen? Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Paul says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Or in 1 Peter 1, that was Paul exhorting us. Here is Peter. Peter says, As obedient children, verse 14, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. In other words, don't live like you used to live before you were a Christian. Right? But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. How much of your behavior? All. Be holy in what? All. all your behavior. Amen? Change it. Stamp it out. I'm going to tell you, the first step, look, just start hating your sin, okay? You got this big sin problem. It's a big old plank everywhere you go, stuck in your eye, right? 
You got a big sin problem. Here's what you do. Just start praying and hating that sin. Before long, you're going to hate that sin so much that go to God and say, God, I hate this sin. This thing is just, ah, it's a thorn in my side. And I seem so powerless against it. It just dominates me, God. Right? Just go to the Lord and start hating that sin and praying for God to remove that sin from your life. Okay? You'd be amazed at how God will answer that prayer. Pretty soon you'll hate that thing so you'll hate that thing so bad, man. You'll have your back turned on that thing. It'll be under your feet. You'll have your foot on the neck of that enemy. You with me? How bad do you want to get rid of that sin? You know, some people love their sin. They love their sin more than they love God. That's why they keep walking in it. There's a lot of angry people in the world. They love their anger more than they love God. You know what they do? They hurt other people because they're angry. And they continue living in that anger. You know what they say? Well, this happened to me, and that happened to me, and this happened to me, and therefore I'm angry and I'm mean. Right? And they don't realize they're alienating themselves from everybody in their life. Know anybody like that? Or they wonder why nobody wants to hang around with them. Or they wonder why they got so few friends. <laughs> Hello? You with me? Sorry. Maybe I'm stepping on toes. <laughs> I'm not sorry about that. I'm really not. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you need to start hating your anger. Maybe you need to turn your back on that sin and forsake it. And allow the Holy Spirit to come in and dominate your heart with peace. And instead of having conflict and hostility with everybody in your life, how about having some peace and some joy and some kindness? How about speaking healing words that impart grace? How about speaking words that tell others that they're important, that you care about them? How about building them up? How about letting no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only that which builds others up and edifies them, strengthens them? Stop using your words to tear people down. Instead, build them up. Amen? Amen? Encourage them. That's what anger does. It, it fights against all those things. I'll tell you why I know. <laughs> when I got saved, I was a very, very angry young man. But God changed me. He changed me. With a mighty power, He changed me. And I'll tell you how. He caused me to hate my anger. He caused me to hate it so bad that that he went in there and he rooted out every root of anger in my heart, still doing it to this day. You with me? But I want to tell you something. Life is so much more enjoyable when you learn how to love people and just be gracious and kind, not have so much hostility and anger in your heart. Lots of us had a rough go at it growing up or whatever the situation was. Might have created a lot of anger in your heart, but let me tell you, God wants to live there with his peace. He wants his peace to rule in your heart. Amen? And uh, you don't know what enjoyment in life is like until you begin to put some of these sins off and let Christ live in your heart. Amen? Amen. Truly, 
the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and faithfulness. Amen? And it's there for our experience if we're willing. So Paul tells us, Peter tells us, here's John, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. You hear what John says? He says, this is what he's saying. I'm going to translate it for you, if that weren't simple enough. (laughs) If you say you're a Christian, you ought to live like a Christian. That's what John is saying. Amen? And how many of us are disgusted by Christian hypocrites? How many people do you know that actually that's their reason for not being a Christian? (laughs) They're disgusted by Christian hypocrisy. And you know what? That's what hypocrisy is. It's a disgusting thing. I guarantee you Jesus is disgusted by it. The harshest words he ever spoke were to hypocritical religious people. Check it out. You'll see what I'm saying is true. The harshest judgments he ever wrought were on hypocrites. Looking even closer, consider the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Here Paul speaks of our own personal calling by God. The idea of the God who calls really speaks to his electing grace by which we, who deserve death and destruction, instead receive mercy and free grace because God has chosen to set his love upon us. Remember in chapter 1, verse 4, that's what he said. He said, brothers, I know that you have been chosen by God. Amen? How come? Because when I look at your life, I see the fruits of the Holy Spirit coming in and changing a life. Amen? That tells me I know God chose you. And here he speaks of the God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. By this should our hearts be glad to walk in a manner worthy of him. You understand what we're saying? You were living and abiding in sin and death. And along came God and he called you. You know how that works? I want to give you an example. I see my brother way back there. Here's how it works. God says, Dennis! It never ceases to amaze me how people miss this idea in the scripture of calling. You understand what a calling is? It has an initiator, right? And in this case, it has a beneficiary. And in the sense of Christian salvation, a calling from God is God is the one who initiates the call. The one who receives the salvation is the beneficiary of God's saving grace. Amen? So here's how it works. Dennis. (laughs) and I want you to know that when God called Dennis that was exactly his response you know why? because God's calling is effectual in other words he saves those he calls how does he do that? well he opens their eyes by regeneration right? came a point in time when Dennis' life he realized "I'm I'm a sinner in desperate need of a savior and, and, and God opened his eyes to see that Jesus was the provision for that problem. Amen? And that he ought to turn his back on sin and begin to follow Christ. 
Isn't that how it happened, Dennis? <laughs> so it is with every true Christian, right? God called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen? Amen? <clears throat> so this ought to make us want to walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls us. Would you agree? I mean, God snatched you out of the fire. He snatched you out of death and hell. And he's given you eternal life. Amen? I say that that gratitude ought to motivate us to want to follow God. And to do it in a manner that's worthy of him. Amen? Now here is an expression of the massive ramifications involved in Christian salvation. We have been called out of the darkened world of sin and death and into God's own kingdom of light and life. Think about this. We've been called out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Before we lived under a certain domain. We lived under a certain dominion. We lived under a certain power and authority. That of darkness and death and sin and hell. Are you with me? We got called out of that kingdom into a new kingdom. Amen? We have been delivered from the dominion of darkness so that we are no longer bound as a slave in a kingdom of darkness, but rather have come under the dominion of a new king in his kingdom of light. This is how it is described in Colossians 1, 12 and following, where Paul says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have become subjects of a new authority into a new reign with a new sovereign. Amen. We come into the kingdom of God and there God reigns as king. Amen. You remember the idea of the kingdom of God is that we come under his rule. We come under his dominion. We come under his power and authority as our sovereign. Amen. And this we do willingly by repentance. We acknowledge, I got a big sin problem. <laughs> and Jesus is the only way I can be saved. So I turn my back on my sin and I begin to trust and follow Jesus. Amen. And when I do that, I am willingly putting my will under the power and the authority of God's sovereign kingship. Are you with me? And I am now saying, Jesus is my Lord. This is why Jesus can't just be a Savior and not a Lord. Jesus is the Lord. Amen? And when you get Him, you get a new Lord. With high and holy commandments which are to be fully obeyed. Amen? Anything less, you're deceiving yourself. That's who Jesus is. And He commands us to walk in a manner worthy of Him. Amen? Are you with me? You come to Christ. He's the Lord. He's the Master. He's the King. And you know what you are? An unworthy slave. That's what he taught us. Amen. And so we come under this new uh, authority of God in his kingdom. Our obedience now is not sin unto death, but rather mercy and loving kindness unto life. What do we do now? Now we love mercy. Now we obey mercy. Now we obey kindness. Now we do what's right and pleasing and proper in the sight of God. Now we cease from hostility with others and instead we seek peace. You with me? Listen, Christians, we have to become these things. We're being called to these things. We've got to put off the old man of sin and we've got to put on the new man of righteousness. Amen? 
We've got to stop doing those things which displease God and start doing those things which please God. That's what our life is about. It's about glorifying God in the body. It's about glorifying God in our life, the way we live, the things we say, the things we do. Amen? We can't profess one thing and live another way. That's hypocrisy. Let us be genuine examples of holy people that love God. Is that what you want to be? That's what I want to be. Not only this, but to receive and to see the glory of God's beauty and experience the joy and gladness of his new creation forever and ever in a place never again to be tainted by sin or death. When you come into the kingdom of God, family, we also are imparted hope. Amen? And I realize that this body of sin is passing away day by day. And in a day soon to come, guess what? It's gone. But the new creation is a creation that's regenerated. It lives forever and ever and ever in God's glory and in God's heaven. Amen? And I want you to tell you something. You are going to attain the holiness of God. You are going to become his holy people and never again be tainted by sin when God changes you completely and fully at the last day. Amen? And that's our hope. The Christian's hope can never fail. You with me? Because it is a sure hope in glorification. Even though we wage war with sin and with an enemy right now, who seems to be (laughs) at times overpowering us, right? Nevertheless, when God is done with us, we're going to be glorified. And it says in the scripture, he's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. And there'll no longer be any mourning or dying or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Amen? And so we have this great hope that drives us on. And even though we continue to fail, we keep striving. Because we know that God is at work in us. Amen? I want to encourage you, family, to be encouraged. And if you're not encouraged, you need to get around some godly Christians because that's what godly Christians do. They encourage. And sometimes it might be like this. Like dad dragging you out of the street. Or sometimes it might be like a gentle nursing mother. Right? Like Paul said. In gentleness. Sometimes we just need to be comforted. Sometimes we just need to be consoled. Amen? Sometimes we just need a good cry. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Oh God, I pray for those who hear my voice that you would open up their eyes to see what this means. The God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. God, open our eyes to see your glory and your power and your majesty and your beauty. I pray that as we have a vision of you, Lord, you would begin to change us. And make us like you. I pray, Father, that you would just put a hunger in our hearts to look into your word, to learn about your kingdom and your glory. That you would cause us to long for the pure milk of the word, that we might grow by it. God, that we would dust the Bible off, that we would get it out and open it up several times a day, and stick our nose in there and stare and study and meditate 
and learn of you, Father. God, turn our eyes away from the darkness of this world. Cause us to look into the glory of your beauty. I pray that we would look at the life of our Lord Jesus and there we would see the Father revealed to us. God, open our eyes to see you. We honor you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.